atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk radio Show. Talk show. All right, happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman and Kurt Crosby live on your radio. Hard hit, hard hitting news that I refuse to use. Always at your fingertips. This is the broadcast for. September the 16th in the year of our Lord 2019. This is our two of two. And our goal, steady as a rock, that is to promote God, family, and country and to protect life, liberty, and property and the traditions of our founding fathers. Um, Scott Bradley with us to preserve the nation. FreedomsRisingSun.com is his website. Welcome back, brother. Thank you so much. Always good to be here. All right. A lot to talk about with a good Dr. Scott Bradley. So we talked about last hour in 1955. D.A.R., that's the daughter of the Ameri- Daughters of the American Revo- Revolution, petitioned Congress to set aside September 17th to the 23rd as well, it's a, a week to be dedicated for a Constitution commemoration, if you will, you a remembrance, an observance. Okay, this is critical. And Constitution Day is tomorrow. We wanted to give everybody a heads up to celebrate uh, all week for this and commend the Daughters of the American Revolution and commend the founders and framers of the supreme law of our land that has provided more freedom to more people in the history of the world than anywhere else on the planet. And most of all, even when we've lost a few freedoms, we still have the checks and balances and the framework to restore our liberties. What we need is pure application of the principles that made America great, and we can do it again. So no other nation, even if they have a couple of more freedoms uh, than we do at this point on a given issue, they don't have the framework to restore as we do. Anyway, we talked about Carl Icahn. Uh, He's headed to Florida for lower tax rates, according to Bloomberg. The regulations, the taxes in New York are just too out of control. So we got into this discussion, Scott Bradley, and I want to catch you up on this and then get your take quickly and then move on to other topics. But I talked about and Kurt talked about this idea that income tax and property taxes um, and sales taxes. That's kind of the debate. Every state has a property tax, an income tax, or a sales tax, or multiples. There's no state with no property tax or income tax or whatever. And so which one's the best way to pay for the proper role of government? Property tax, sales tax, or income tax? And we reject that notion. Number one, income and property taxes are part of the Communist Manifesto. Let's start with that reality check and say that's why we're against those. When people are in fear of their government, it's disaster. All right, when people can't keep their property even though they've slaved maybe for 30 years to pay it off, that's a whole other topic. But And then in the end, the government can literally, with eminent domain, kind of steal your property and say you didn't pay your taxes. I mean, it is egregious. It is abusive. Uh, it is horrible. So we reject property tax and income tax. Now, then Sam and Kurt agreed... That tariff tax, apportionment tax, uniform transaction tax, or sales tax would be a much better solution to the problem. We need to get away from this violation of the Fourth and Fifth Amendments. Get away with this violation of your private property and your income and your privacy. And get away from this keeping people in fear of their government to pay their fair share. Um, And that's kind of the debate that we uh, framed last hour. Do you want to chime in on that, Scott, real quick? Well, there is indeed much to be spoken of in regards to taxes. And as President Washington said in his farewell address, you know, in order to have government, you do have to have taxes. You do have to have a methodology by which to defend the nation. 
And uh, the founding fathers understood that. And and, uh, while taxes are uh, something that we all grit our teeth over, there has to be a methodology to pay for those proper processes of government. Now, we've gone way beyond anything that's proper. But one of the uh, the things that we need to understand, and you mentioned this, was the the tariff taxes. They are they are constitutional. And that, in fact, if you read the forty fifth Federalist uh, uh, paper, was how James Madison suggested that the bulk of the U.S. government's operation would be paid for, and um, the idea of of uniform uh, tariffs and all that is is something we could discuss at great length. But this uh, idea that we go to to uh, uh, some kind of an agreement, like like a Trans-Pacific Partnership or a NAFTA or something like that, or most favored nation status for China or whatever, all of those things are perversions of that. And and we have come into a, a state where, for example, if we if we do Mexico Canada. And, and basically give them special status on our tariffs, we're undermining our own constitutional tax status. Okay, so the, the ability to collect taxes is being undermined by an international body, and that, that's another topic we could talk about, how uh, Congress loses control of all of this through these free trade agreements, so-called. They're not free trade. They're all managed trade by international bodies. And so, change managed to manipulate it because they're all manipulated trade. They're not even managed properly in, in the best interest of the United States. They're manipulated trade. And it's manipulated for the globalist perspective. And George Washington addresses that very, very, uh, just effectively in his farewell address also about us giving things away that we should not be given away, which is, again, this this issue with these free trade agreements, so-called, which are not free trade. The idea of of a tax issue, uh, I think, yeah, we, we there is a better and more fair way in the, the Constitution, I think, defined the way the founders wanted to do it. But part of the, our big problem is, and, and absolutely it'll go along with you, uh, an income tax and a uh, uh, property tax absolutely are destructive. They're, they're Marxist in their origins, and they've been implemented by the United States to the nth degree. And if you look at, if there's such a thing as an average American, the average American pays approximately 50% of their gross income to some level of government, whether it's through state and federal income tax or through property tax or through excise tax or through gasoline tax or through sales tax. You know, you can go on and on and on. But we pay about half of our gross income to some level of government, and it's pillaging us. Uh, And we voted for it, which uh, shows us how stupid we are. But I'm really concerned with some of these efforts by some people, you know, like a flat tax, for example, or something like that, um, that uh, if unless and until we get our arms around the fact that the government does not have access to do whatever it darn well pleases for whatever purpose it chooses to do, a flat tax could become a 99% tax or a 98 or 90 or whatever it is. We have a problem in that we're binge spenders as a nation, and we think that we can spend money for whatever purpose. And, and if you look back, for example, at the uh, the Butler case back in 1936, that went before the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court exempted the welfare clause, so-called, from the limits and bounds of the Constitution and says, if it has to do with money, you can spend it for whatever you want. And that just put this put us on a bad track. So I think... 
absolutely, most of the taxes we've got are wrong. But we have a, a fundamental problem in that Americans and their leadership think that anything and everything is fair game for government to buy into, and it is not. It's, it pillages and plunders the right of the individual to choose the use of their labor, how they're going to pay for whatever. You say, oh, it's for the good of all or whatever. That's, again, a Marxist thing. From each according to his ability to each according to his need. Okay, well, that's, that's another one of those. It's just Marxist to the core. And so I think we've got to settle down and say government cannot be in these areas. And I'm, I use a number 80%. It's number you can argue about. You might say, no, no, it's more like 75, no, it's more like 85, whatever. But let's say, for the sake of argument, 80% of the expenditures of the national government right now are absolutely unconstitutional. And, and the, for example, the uh, entitlements take 61% of the national government. That 61% is unarguable then, because entitlements absolutely are not included in, in the powers delegated to the national government. And then you look at all of the unconstitutional wars, these military adventures all over the world, uh, foreign aid, these things of taking from American citizens and redistributing wealth, whether it's to a foreign power or it's to a, um, a state or to a city or to a student or, or an individual, you cash for clunkers or whatever, there is no authority delegated in the Constitution to do these kind of things. So I, I say the number's around 80%, and, and I may be somewhat wrong, but it's close. And, and so we are binge spenders, and that, I think, has got to be solved, or else if you pick some other methodology, let's say a national sales tax, well, you could put an 80% um, uh, value-added tax or sales tax or whatever you want to call it on every commodity <clears throat> that gets purchased. Uh, you just pick a number because it can go as high as you want because we will not limit what we are allowed to spend money on. Yes, it can, and I agree, and that's why I put it down the list of preferred taxes, but I would say at least it's better because it would be transparent, number one, and their ability to create the fear factor by violating my rights of privacy and or my property or whatever would be decreased. So I agree it's not as good as the others, and that's why we put it in this order. We simply reject property or income tax because they're part of the communist manifesto. But then we say Sam and Kurt agree that tariffs, a tariffs would be the best way. Apportionment tax might be another good way because neither of those are egregious on the American people and it, it limits the government from that ever-increasing reality. Uniform transaction tax because, again, <clears throat> it'd be a very low number, but yet you wouldn't be able to manipulate it uh, across the board. It would just be a, a very, very small a sales tax would be um, the least valuable, but still a much better solution than keeping everybody in fear, violating their privacy, uh, throwing people in jail, stealing their homes, turning the government into an agent of destruction. Um, at least it would be better than that. So when we come back really quick, Scott, before we leave this topic, let's have you say I'm an apportionment tax, but what do you think about these other ideas? What other taxes besides tariffs could make sense? to fund the proper role of limited government and created a fair checks and balance plan that would be good for everybody. These things do exist, ladies and gentlemen. Like I say, Dr. Scott Bradley with us. This is Liberty Roundtable Live, an incredible think tank, to say the least. Kosher. 
Certified. Put the two words together to get Co-Certified, which is spelled with an S-E-H instead of just S-H. It's the right way to spell this, the German way, and it made it easier to trademark. Now, did I tell you that the letters S-C-H still make the shh sound, as in all those American food producers saying shh? Let's keep it really quiet that our product is kosher certified. Think about it. Nearly one century of kosher certification, and hardly anyone outside exclusive observers knows that most packaged food and kitchen products are literally certified by religious intermediaries. Well, because you, consumer, are indirectly paying for this, the Co-Certified app is here to make kosher certification awareness an inclusive matter for people of all faiths and identities, and it even boasts a unique database of products not kosher certified. We call that NKC. Start meaning it. It's fun. NKC. Not kosher certified. Now to confuse our audience even more, we put a question mark at the end of our name. And that really cinched our trademark approval. It relates to the website where you can begin your new shopping behavior. TheKosherQuestion.com Attention Liberty News Radio listeners. Hard-hitting talk radio has never been and never will be supported by the mainstream in America. Hard-hitting talk radio is taking on the mainstream press like never before. News the networks refuse to use is one of the best ways to educate people. We invite all liberty-loving Americans to join with us to restore the principles of our founding fathers and promote God, family, and country in the media and our lives. Please help spread the Liberty message with your generous donation. You can go online at libertynewsradio.com right now and make a donation online. Or call 801-756-9133 and make a donation over the phone. That's libertynewsradio.com and 801-756-9133. Make a donation today. Sam and Kurt live on your radio. Dr. Scott Bradley with us. Freedomsrisingsun.com, his website. Check out his incredible curriculum to preserve the nation. A homeschool series, book, videos, educational speeches, and more. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, weekly webinars on how to restore the republic or how to bring back the principles that made America great. Incredible stuff at freedomsrisingsun.com. So we're talking about taxes. I believe property tax and income tax are two of the most egregious because they come from the Communist Manifesto and have origins of, in my opinion, um, everything we stand against, really, is the point. But you know what? A tariff tax might be a good way. In fact, that's the Constitutional Founding Fathers' way. But you know what? An apportionment tax might be an answer. Hey, Utah has 3 million people. Therefore, Utah has 3 million of 330 million people in the nation's percentages or, uh, you know, apportionment uh, of the taxes. You could give, have the states give that to the federal government if they behave and follow their proper constitutional delegated mandate. So a tariff tax, an apportionment tax, those are probably my preferred methods. But you could even go to a small transaction tax or a sales tax, and all of those would still be better uh, than the fear and the abuse that we uh, experience under the current uh, system. Scott, do you want to weigh in? What what would be your preferred ways? Or do you think we've got this right? First, first of all, let me, let me say that an apportionment, excuse me, a transaction tax really is a sales tax. I mean, it, yes, it is. I mean, a transaction tax would be sales, use, gross receipts, excise, any any right. kind of of thing that you you have a hedge funds, stocks, transaction tax. Yeah, hedge okay, funds, so. stocks. And the only reason that might make more sense than say a, f- a straight up sales tax is 
then you, um, it, it's a small percentage of everything, and it pretty much stays out of the way unless it rises too big. If it rises too big, the rich people start to, to scream the, the first, uh, or the people who have a lot of money start to scream the loudest, and they're the ones that have the greatest influence in many ways. Well, and you know, and again, I, I tend to, to feel like a transaction tax by whatever uh, application you give. I, I would think that there's a number of things that are wrong with that. One would be it still gives government access to everything you do financially. If you exchange gold with me for bicycles, I mean, you know, suddenly, I mean, we're, we're doing a trade. I have gold and you have bicycles. I want your bicycles. You want my gold. Suddenly everything, the government's got their nose in the middle of everything. I agree. I fundamentally and, disagree with that. Okay. And that's why the further we go from the proposal that I have, which is a tariff and or apportionment taxes, the worse it gets, right? Absolutely. And I, I would say that the, the intention of the founders was to go with tariffs. And then if there had to be a tax raised, it was done, you know, based upon the census. And that's what the census was about, establishing the the representation in the House of Representatives. And then also to say, OK, if we had to go to that, something like that, they didn't they didn't try to value the property in Virginia versus New York or whatever. They said, no, 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 that's too that's too subjective. We'll put it based upon the population. And that's why the three-fifths thing got in there with the slave thing, because the argument from the South is, oh, they have no economic value. And the argument from the North is, why do you have them then? I mean, and that's really, really the basis of it. And so they came with the three-fifths thing said, so that that would base taxation and representation on that. And so let's say that the, the national government had a billion dollars it had to, was underfunded by, and Utah had 10% of the population. I'm just picking numbers right now. Utah state would be basically um, get a bill from the national government for 10% of a billion. Okay, Utah, the state of Utah would then decide how to collect that from its people and send it in. And as you talk about, okay, uh, the state of Utah then retained its leverage on the national government. Of course, we should have had that without the 17th Amendment anyway. So anyway, I some of these other taxes, to me, they're fundamentally wrong for a lot of reasons, and, and I'm trying to talk fast because in our time... Well, and, and you're right on every bit of that. However, there's a discussion that's a, a, a what do you want to call it? Um, an ideal and a real. And the ideal says, Scott, you're right on every point you make, and I concur a thousand percent. The real, though, is every one of these states already have a sales tax. And if I could get rid of a, an income tax and a property tax, even though they had a sales tax, I would applaud that state. There's not a single state right now that I know of that doesn't have a property tax. And there's not a single state that doesn't have a property or an income tax. And if we could even make it a sales tax and get rid of the property and income tax, it would not be the, my perfect world for every reason you point out. But it would be a gazillion times better than what we've got now. And so the part of that is Here's, teach to the ideal, live in the real, and work towards what we know to be right. Here's the deal. We, we need to make sure we're, we, we keep things straight. The national government has no authority to do any of the things it's doing right now, okay, in terms of, of the way they're taxing and everything like that. No constitutional, no original intent, founding fathers things. Okay, but the states are sovereign entities also, and the states have to be something the people keep them within their limits and bounds also. See, within each state, it's a republic. And the people in this, this republic, Utah, for example, has to say, the people of Utah have to say, you know what, we're going to keep our legislature in, on track on this thing. We are not going to allow them to put a sales tax in or a property tax or an excise tax or a uh, any kind of tax, income tax. Utah has to do that on its people, too. 
Utah, the people of Utah, have to be the watchdogs on their government. So first of all, let's eliminate the national government's authority to access to all these different things. If the national government does have an apportionment based upon population, which is what the Constitution directs us to, then Utah will have to, the people of Utah will have to say, hold it, you guys, we ain't, we ain't taking an income tax. Okay, and by the way, this is something we, we talk at length about in, in a financial uh, presentation I make, about how when, when each state had a seat at the table uh, in, in the Senate before the 17th Amendment, the, the House with its – I mean, they bought their votes. All they, they always have. They always said, vote for me, I'll give you this. When they got there, they all threw it in the pot. They decided they're going to help each other get reelected. They passed these humongous bills. They sent it over to the Senate. The Senate's sitting there thinking, whoa, 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 we don't have budget for that. And so consequently, if we go over this and we pass this uh, humongous bill with all these expenditures, my state legislature is going to get a bill from the national government apportioning to them their portion of this overspend. And they're going to look to me and say, you idiot, why did you vote for this? We're not going to re- we are not in, you know, going to let you take another term. There was, they couldn't recall them, but they could keep them from being appointed to being senator later. So the senators whittled it back to a reasonable amount and passed it. And, and that's what the deal is. Is the United States in in eighteen hundred the national debt was fifteen dollars and change per person. In, in, in that's eighteen hundred. Nineteen hundred. It was it was twenty eight dollars and change per person, and then it, then we got the the sixteenth and seventeenth amendments for their taxes and for the we took the states out of the table, plus the Federal Reserve in the in nineteen thirteen, and and so since then now our per capita is just thousands and thousands and thousands of times that. And it's because we we destroyed the national the natural checks and balances this interwoven tapestry the founders put together, and so this apportionment thing was what was supposed to be. But the senators were to keep an eye on things and and, and whittle back the stupidity of the house. But now the senators are just glorified representatives elected by the people, and they. In fact, they're worse because they're even more elite, and they go by that same principle of let's just get together and split the pot and play games and everything else, adding insult to injury. So, Scott, I agree completely. What if we um, had tariffs and apportionment, and they still felt like there was a legitimate need for some things? Uh, What would you? uh, And again. I'm not endorsing any other taxes as much as I'm saying you got to prioritize them though if they're going to go for something else what would you what would you say would be the least abusive of all of them because we've already got them in place so we got to decide which ones to dismantle first right Andy Jackson is the only president that ever retired the entire US debt and they used tariffs and apportionment and they sold federal lands that's how he got rid of the national debt. Now, it's the only time in all of our history we've done that. And, and honestly and truthfully, the, the national government shouldn't be holding the land anyway. I mean, it's very specific in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17. The national government can hold 64,000 acres, plus other needful buildings, forts, magazines, so on as defined, with the permission of the states. They were very specific. A 10-mile by 10-mile section was all they could control. You do the math. That's 100 square miles, 640 miles per 640, 640 acres per square mile. 
64,000 acres is all the national government was allowed to do. Andy Jackson sold off the land. And, and the people need to understand, it's always the, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. And Andy Jackson said that, by the way, in his farewell address, too. But, but that's where we've gone awry. We are selling ourselves. We sell our vote to a senator or a congressman. They sell them within their own offices. Amen to that. But the states, the states might say the Fed could sell all the, uh, you know, what it wants. We're forced to balance our budgets. We got to have another uh, way. The tariffs aren't enough from the Feds. They're choking us. Our apportionments we send to them. How do the states get money? And that's why I say we've got too many taxes. We've got to prioritize. I'd get rid of property and income first. There's not a single state that's gotten rid of both of those yet. But that's where I would start the discussion. Hang tight, folks. Proclaiming liberty across the land. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Chris Barnes. General Motors and the United Auto Workers Union negotiators are to resume talk shortly, but for now, nearly 50,000 GM workers are on strike. The first strike at GM in 12 years. At one demonstration in Detroit, President of UAW Local 22, Wiley Turnage, says... It's great to have support, you know, because we serve the community. You know, we have a lot of restaurants, we have gas stations, you know, so we need to keep this plant viable as possible. And then we have a lot of young families working here, a lot of temporary workers, you know, that have no stability in their life. So we're just trying to secure everyone's future. In President Trump's words on Twitter, the U.S. is locked and loaded, ready to respond to the weekend drone attacks on a giant Saudi oil refinery. The U.S. blames Iran for the attacks. And you're listening to USA Radio News. Do you have an idea for an invention or new product? Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Then call InventHelp now. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential and explains every step of the invention process. We create professional materials representing your idea and submit it to companies who are looking for new ideas. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We also offer services including 3D modeling and animation demonstrating your idea, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to show InventHelp client ideas to additional companies. Join the thousands of people just like you who chose InventHelp to pursue their idea. We are experienced. We are working for you. We are InventHelp. Call us for free information at 1-800-460-1663. That's 1-800-460-1663. Again, 1-800-460-1663. President Trump wants the Justice Department to, as he puts it, rescue Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh after a new accusation of sexual misconduct emerged. On Twitter, the president suggests Kavanaugh sue for libel. A report published to the New York Times claims one of Kavanaugh's Yale classmates saw him expose himself at a dorm party back in the 1980s. Democrat running for the White House, Senator Amy Klobuchar, among those calling for Kavanaugh's impeachment. 
my concern here is that the process was a sham. Um, I don't think you can uh, look at impeachment hearings without getting the documents. The House would have to get the documents, and the Attorney General is shielding documents. The Tennessee Titans say a mechanical failure by pyrotechnic devices caused a fire at Nissan Stadium before yesterday's game against the Colts. It happened on the sidelines. A stadium worker put out the fire, and no one was hurt. And this is USA Radio News. So I agree with Scott that we should never need to go to these other taxes. The problem is we've already got them. So, Scott, on a, on a pragmatic point of view or a reality check point of view, I agree we should teach to the ideal, and you're spot on on every point. However, in Utah, we have a property tax, we have a sales tax, and we have a, uh, an income tax. I guess I'm saying I would get rid of the income tax and the property taxes first. Well, I think that that would be a good place to start. But I think that, that Utah's people need to recognize that they have a responsibility to keep to rein their government in. And you talk about how Utah has a um, a lot of states have a responsibility to balance their own budgets. That is an absolute facade. And and here's why. What the states do, let's just take Utah, for example. I worked very closely with a lot of the state for many years and how they got around that requirement. And and, uh, what what they do basically is they say, okay, we got to balance our budget. But they've got a hundred billion dollars overspend, or a hundred million, or whatever number you pick. Just pick a number, hundred million. Okay, a huge uh, number though. If you if you pick a number, it's got to be huge, right? Well, okay. So Utah says, man, we're a hundred million dollars <laughs> short. Oh, here's how we do it, and we balance our budget. We do a bond. Now, bonding. Anybody that knows anything about finances know that bonding is a debt instrument. But Utah doesn't call it a debt instrument. They borrow $100 million, and they, they commit future revenues to the state to that bond. Therefore, they're pay-as-you-go with that in the sense that they're retiring that bond. But that's how they do it. I saw them do it time after time, where they exceeded their expenditures. They needed money. They took a bond. They, they did not call the bond a debt, which it really is, because they were, they were committing future revenues to it to pay it off, therefore it would be paid off, so therefore it's not a, de- a debt. Okay? This is just sh- a shenanigan. And, and that's why I say the people in Utah have got, in every state, have got to wake up and say, you know what, we're going to take care of our liberty. We're not going to go down this path. Now, by the way, if you want to go to the Constitution and look at the original intent on the founders, go to Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3, which talks about the uh, uh, the uh, uh, census, but it also talks about taxes being apportioned among the several states, okay? And then Article 1, Section 9, Clause 4 says, No capitation or other direct tax shall be laid unless in proportion to the census or enumeration herein before directed to be taken. So they tied it... In other words, your point is a transaction tax and a sales tax is just as unconstitutional, and you're right about that. I just say that it's less less egregious and less abusive than the other abuses. That doesn't mean that I'm for them in any way. I'm just saying if we got to extract ourselves from these abuses, where I would start and and, and where I would at least willing, like if they said to you right now, we're going to get rid of of a property tax and an income tax, but your sales tax is going up by a third. Would you support it? No. 
because they could do the same thing again and again and again. Here's what it does. Number one, it puts the national, it puts any government, whoever's doing these, in every single transaction. Every transaction. Yes, it does, but but at least they're on only one side. Right now, see, they're on both sides. They're on your income, they're on your property, or all three sides. They're on your income, they're on your property, and they're on your expenditures. This way, yeah, they're abusing your expenditures for sure, but they're not involved in the income and or the um, property side, right? Here's the other thing. It will make everybody a thief and a liar because of this. All of us will try to avoid those by growing our own gardens, if nothing else. And and we will each try to do uh, exchanges privately on the street. Here, you take this and I'll take that. And and what actually happens is they start to chase you for black market stuff. And this is what it's happened all over the world. And it's really not black market. All it is is people trying to survive. And the government has to get in the face of everybody, and so now you're a black marketeer. You're right, but they're already in. They're already in the face of everybody. My income tax or my sales tax just went up even this last cycle. I had to adjust as a as an IT guy. I had to adjust all the the sales tax charges, and um, you know the sales tax went up, the income tax goes up, the, and so I agree with every point you make. But at some point, we've got to extract ourselves from this, and the only question left is how, right? Well, we've got to start somewhere, and property tax and sales t- I mean, property tax and income tax, I agree, are the, a great place to start. But I believe that sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that there aren't downsides on the other stuff, too. Oh, there's I, downsides on the other yeah. stuff, too. I'm just saying if you have three taxes and you turn it into one that they've already got in place, I would prefer that. But at least it's transparent. Our, and at sales least- tax, our sales tax goes up a third. Yep. That, that's, a, that's a legislatively created number. If they find it's not enough, they bring it up by, you know, another 5%. That's right. And everything you say is true, but but at least it's transparent to where the people can squawk, and at least it's one out of three taxes, two of them are gone. Right. So, uh, again, wouldn't you, Scott, wouldn't you be able to, if the legislature did that, wouldn't you be able to just go ahead and, you know, basically uh, get rid of those guys and then put people in that wouldn't do that? Uh, It seems to me. What? That's exactly what we should be doing right now. Right. Because these but we're not. are doing that, and we are not, as a people. We are so apathetic, yeah. uncaring, ignorant, and, and just, we're completely... Well, it seemed so- like, though, if you had it all in one thing, it would be easier to focus on. Well, Instead of and, and so many is- little enemies coming from so many places that you can't even really add it all up. And my point is, uh, we're not endorsing a sales tax or saying that it's a fine tax. All we're simply saying is this. Right now in the state of Utah and many states across the country, uh, we have all three. And all I'm telling you is there's got to be a way to extract ourselves as a state from that. Uh, and and the only way that I know is to, to work on it a little bit of time, incrementally progress. And I agree the idea would be, hey, we have no sales tax, no property tax and no income tax and the only tax we have is a tariff tax and an apportionment tax and nothing else that's that would be the ideal but again we're in the real and we have all three of them and the only question is how do we we've got more than that how many people look at the gas pump and know that 40 something cents per gallon is going to a government no you're right and and now what you're doing is making the issue even more complicated 
There's a there's a hidden everything everywhere. I mean, if you buy yeah, but is that all that alcohol. you know when it comes to the gas? Is that really all that's going to the government? You know, I would submit. What about all the taxes put on the oil industry and the companies and all that kind of stuff? They have to add that on to exactly. you know the cost of their product when we buy it. So that's to me, that that numbers. If, if right. a car dealer or a car manufacturer or a parts originator has to pay a tax at every level that they do, that all gets added in, and it ultimately goes into the cost of the vehicle or the cost of the oil, the, the gallon of oil, whatever. Everything we do is somehow it's it's hidden from us in so many ways that most of us don't even know the levels of taxes we're paying. That's right. And so what you've got to do is educate people uh, about it talk about what's going on, and eventually work towards extracting yourself from it. And the only real discussion is how do we live in the real, uh, work towards the ideal. I mean, that, that's really what we're talking about. And I'm proposing that if we could get rid of property taxes and income taxes, those are the, probably the two most egregious that I would like to see go. And um, you know what? And they're uh, planks of the Communist Manifesto, right? That's right. Yes, indeed they are. And, th- and that's why I say I want to start there. And, and uh, you know, a sales tax isn't great. I'm not loving it. But at least it's transparent. At least it doesn't choke the income or the the property the the prospering side of the equation i can decide to spend less i can decide to uh, but so is it perfect far from but there's an ideal discussion and scott's right on every point he's made a thousand percent correct Uh, but in the real at some point you got to say the chances of me saying to you guys at the state level hey i want you to get rid of all your three thousand hidden taxes let's go and I'm not going to get anywhere. I'm just going to be laughed off the stage and it's done and there's no discussion anymore. But if I start by saying, hey, many states don't have an income tax. Many states, don't, um, you know, we could start there. Uh, or, you know what? Um, uh, hey, many states have a very low property tax. Um, I think that a lot of Americans could understand that, get their arms around it, and you could move the needle incrementally. So is it perfect? Far from. But look, right now, as far as I can tell, we have all three and they're abusing me to the point where I can't even hardly prosper, Scott. Well, we do indeed have to begin somewhere, and I think it is an incremental process. There's no question about that. I think that the issue has got to be raised in the minds of the people. We've got, we've got to be aware of it. And let's just say it's an incremental process that's going to take 10 years. Let's say it takes 20 years. You put on a straight-line depreciation process where we take one-tenth of whatever we're doing and cut it back every year or one-twentieth, and, and after 10 years or 20 years, whatever number we, we figure, we have, we have suddenly got, not suddenly, but it's over time, we end up with a livable kind of government again. And yes, it has to be incremental. And, and yes, if we can eliminate income and property tax, we would be much freer. Absolutely. But I really do believe that there's, there's an undertow that's taking us under and has to do with our fundamental greed, thinking that we can take from some and give to others, and, and that what's taken from us is going to be less than what's... What and, happens. as Scott says, we can't steal from one another. We can't get something for nothing. Those fundamental principles are key. In the last segment, I want to leave the tax discussion, and I want to move to a religious liberty discussion, because I believe if we were to truly stand for religious liberty... 90% of the problems we're talking about would be a downstream non-issue. Let's talk about it with Scott Bradley in seconds.
As the United States boldly stepped forward in the glorious light provided by its new constitution in 1787, the nations of the earth were in awe of the newfound strength and hope of this free land. Today, the nation stands at a crossroads. A divergence from the original intent put forth in the United States Constitution has brought grave threats to our beloved nation. A miracle is needed if the United States is to survive. That miracle is again the pure application of the United States Constitution. I'm Scott Bradley. In my To Preserve the Nation book and lecture series, I bring forth truths that will help raise up a new generation of statesmen like those noble Americans who founded this land. Vigorous application of these principles will invigorate and restore the nation, and we may become again the freest, most prosperous, most respected, and happiest nation on earth. Visit topreservethenation.com to begin that restoration. Okay, girls, about finished with your lesson on money. Daddy, what is a buy-sell spread for gold coins? Well, when you sell a gold coin to a coin shop that's worth, say, $1,200, you don't actually get $1,200. But don't worry, we're members of UPMA now, so we don't have to worry about that. Daddy, what if somebody steals our gold? We don't have any gold at the house. It's stored safely in the UPMA vault, securely and insured. But the S&P 500 outperformed gold. Daddy, gold is a bad investment. Some people do think of it that way. But actually, gold is money. And as members of the United Precious Metals Association, we can use our gold at any store, just like a credit card. Or I can ask them to drop it right into Mommy and Daddy's bank account because we're a UPMA member family. Find out more at upma.org. That's upma.org. All right, Dr. Scott Bradley's with us. I want to talk about in defense of religious liberty because I think 90% of what we're discussing is really a downstream discussion. And if we really defend the religious liberty as we ought, then you know what? Most of these problems we're facing might not even be on the table for abuse or discussion, Scott. Well, it's so true. And, and in fact, if we look at the uh, origins of the nation, people came here for a lot of reasons. But uh, if you look at, for example, the Mayflower Compact, it, they came for the furtherance of the Christian faith. And, and, and that, was, that was one of the principal reasons people came. They came for economic and everything else, too. But, uh, and, and they were fleeing the religious persecution of the, of the world that was out there, and, and it was horrific. And, and there's oh, documentation that would, that would just absolutely curdle your blood on, on what was going on in the name of religion. And so people came here, they, and they were by and large religious people, and, and of course we, we had all sorts of things that happened, uh, you know, everything from the Northwest Ordinance of 1787, uh, to the, uh, well, actually what happened before that was the Virginia uh, Religious Liberties Act in, in 1786, and of course the the First Amendment, everything. All of that, it gives us the privilege of, of expressing our religious freedom. And uh, re- religion, as the founders understood it, came, you know, from the fundamental uh, doctrine of, of the uh, scriptures. Ten Commandments, 20% of those, and this is going back to what we talked about earlier, Thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not covet have to do with taking other people's property. And so private property is important. So we could solve that problem by being a people that have lived their religion. But this religious liberties issue today 
is under attack, as I believe it's never been under attack in the last, last 250 years. And, and then one instance that I find that I came across is Virginia is persecuting a Christian realtor over having in her signet, under, under her signature, in her email she sends out, you know, a, a, a Jesus loves you kind of message. I mean, it's it's out of, you know, John chapter 3, verse 16, which God so loved the world, he sent his, he gave his only begotten son. And, and what is happening is she is being attacked, is basically losing her ability to, to work, because they they said basically you can't put that in there because somebody may feel discriminated against if they see that on your signature, therefore you cannot uh, you can't put that in there or you can't practice your uh, your profession as a realtor, and so she resigned from that and and basically for this to be happening in Virginia, as I mentioned back in in uh, 1786. Thomas Jefferson uh, authored the Virginia Religious Liberties Act in, in uh, January, I think is when it passed, in 1786, and, and absolutely, unequivocally, totally, and completely, it, it allows her to do what she was doing there, and does not allow her to be, as it says, nor shall be enforced, restrained, molested, or burdened in his body or goods, now shall otherwise suffer on account of his religious opinions or belief. All men shall be free to profess and by argument to maintain their opinions in matters of religion, and that same shall in no ways diminish, or enlarge, or affect their civil capacities. And and they were so absolutely convinced of this thing that they said, we know we can't but we, there's no way we can bind future legislatures and make sure they never uh, violate this. But it is our opinion that if they ever do, they're violating an individual right. And um, so anyway, uh, let me just read you a little, if I find it here quickly. Uh, okay, uh, giving this uh, to some judge. It says, uh, religious liberty, because he being, of course, judge of that tendency, will make his opinions the rule of judgment and approve or condemn the sentiments of others only as they shall square with or suffer from his own. Okay, so what's happening is in Virginia, if you will, the, the hotbed from which our religious liberties were, were really cultivated in America, uh, because this was, this was, uh, the, not just a stake in the sand or in the in the and it was etched in granite or whatever that Virginia felt that this religious freedom was something so fundamental to Americanism that it had to be protected and then, of course then we we get the uh, 1787/89 Northwest Ordinance which protects it also and then we get the the Bill of Rights and what became the First Amendment protects our religious liberties it cannot be infringed and and so here we have in Virginia they're disallowing a woman because she says Jesus loves you, uh, you know, on her signature line. This person might have someone feel like they're being discriminated against, and consequently she is being discriminated against. And this is this is kind of just a symptom of what is going on in America today. In uh, September of. 2016, the U.S. Civil Rights Commission put out a 296-page report in which they agreed that we needed to define religious liberties as narrowly as possible to prevent some of these new 
rights that are being created in the government, like gender and, and race and all this kind of stuff, from being infringed upon in any way. And, and here's the problem that we get with a lot of religious institutions. They're trying to protect their turf. They say, oh, as long as we can meet in our church, our synagogue, our, our cathedral, whatever, we're good. As long as we can preach our gospel, we're good. As long as we can teach our Sunday school classes, we're good. But here's where we're losing it. This woman in Virginia is not professing a certain religious cult or, or denomination or anything like that. She says, Jesus loves you. And she is being censored. And she is losing her ability to function in the marketplace. And this is exactly what happened in the Soviet Union. I mean, we've talked about red flag laws and how you could be put in jail for not being stable or something like that. Religion is instability in the old Soviet mindset. And in a lot of people's minds today, including our national government, the Civil Rights Commission for the United States, the guy Castro, I can't remember his first name right now, that's the chair of that, they wrote, we've got to define this as narrowly as possible. And, and this woman stepped over the line, for goodness sake. And, and people need to understand, the churches need to understand. They need to understand that if they don't defend the individual, the individual in this, there's not an institutional threshold. You don't need 15 million members in the United States or 2 million or 5 million or whatever. You don't need more than 6 million. It, it's an individual thing. Thomas Jefferson considered himself a sect of one, and that was okay, because he could hold his religious beliefs. But, but here's what's happening in America today. This is just the tip of the iceberg, and there's an effort being made to limit our religious liberties in order to enhance the, um, these other created things that now we have, as individuals, a responsibility to fulfill. Some gender-bender thing that you say, you know what, I, I just can't ride my motorcycle in the gay pride. I'm using an example in Salt Lake City as a cop. I can't ride my motorcycle in the great gay pride parade because it violates my religious belief. They fired him. And it's like, he didn't, he didn't say, I mean, he got somebody else to ride for him. He said he would perform some other duties, but they said that doesn't comport with the attitude that we want in our department, and therefore you're fired. And, and Utah's Religious Liberties Anti-Discrimination Act actually facilitates that now, because an organization just has to say, well, yeah, we reviewed it, and, and your position just doesn't abide with what we'd like to put forward as our official viewpoint, therefore you're gone anyway. That officer would not have been protected even under Utah's new religious liberties thing. And we need to be very careful, ladies and gentlemen, that we stand in defense of religious liberty on all fronts, not just limited fronts. And here's why. The New American um, magazine, thenewamerican.com, has this article in detail. It's an incredible breakdown. All right. Virginia persecutes Christian realtor over Jesus loves you. Okay. This is serious, serious business and you can ignore it now but this is where it starts and once the slippery slope starts to roll by the time the american people wake up they may not be able to stop it as the point scott you're absolutely right and what what's really interesting to me 
is if you read, you know, where that uh, that statement comes from, and I mentioned uh, John three sixteen, John three seventeen ought to be read with it too. As sixteen and seventeen together says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life." For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. This is a very hopeful. This isn't a condemning of anyone, is the point. No, it's saying, hey, guys, we're all in this together, and you know what? God's going to watch out for us. And suddenly they're, they're, they're having this war on this woman, and I'm telling you, this is just just a, the most superficial, uh, cosmetic kind of thing that's going on at the very bowels of our government. This effort is being undertaken, and, and I, I think that individuals have got to wake up to it, uh, but so do churches. So do synagogues. So do, I mean, pick whatever religion you're in. And if your religion is saying to you, oh, we're protecting our religious liberties to meet on Sunday or Saturday or whenever your church meets or your synagogue or whatever, if you're picking, oh, we, we still get to have our Sunday school, but you know what? We are losing it. When the people lose it, the churches will lose it. It's it's a you know you talk about the domino effect or or let's take this incrementally you know we were talking about that earlier on the idea of of let's get rid of bad taxes incrementally this is getting rid of religion incrementally and uh, and and some things are politically correct and are possible to uphold I know a very bright young man now this is not religion but he was dishonorably discharged he was an officer. And he was dishonorably discharged because of an undertow of a politically correct thing, okay? And and he said, no, it, really, this is wrong. It's it's not only fundamentally wrong, it's discriminatory. And, and it was discriminatory in favor of the new government-endowed rights that now the rest of us have to fulfill. Because if you create a right, somebody else has to fulfill it. If God gives you a right, it's universal. Okay, but if if they say we're gonna we're gonna make it so that everybody has to do blah 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 in favor of this particular, it, it could be a physical, mental, emotional uh, trait. Then everybody else has to kind of bow to what that new edict is, and that's what I'm saying is is we need to wake up. And religions, I think, have some of the biggest problem with this, and that they're they're kind of smug, I think in the fact that they think we can, well, <laughs> we're still pretty safe in this. And hey, Scott, I think that there ought to be a way. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus loves you, my friend. Thank you, sir. And I'm, uh, and I, that's some of the great hope of I take every single day. And I think even people who don't believe in our God or our Jesus or whatever else, for whatever reason they don't believe in that, they should be grateful we're praying for them. Grateful we're giving them a hopeful message. Whether they agree with it or not, they should say thank you. According to your beliefs, I'm grateful that you feel that way. And and I hope the best for you and yours as well. And we need a little bit more civility in our society. Understand this, ladies and gentlemen. We need to labor with our hands so we don't steal from our neighbor. Taxes are grievous to be born, to say the least. Uh, And we need to work on that. But all these issues that we're talking about, whether it's taxes or proper role of government, if we lose religious freedom, we're going to lose it all. That's the bottom line, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to Liberty Roundtable Live. Scott, any final word? Stand tall, everybody, and uh, keep the faith because it's going to get bumpy. All right. For Dr. Scott Bradley. 
for Sam Bushman, for Kirk Crosby, we declare this nation shall endure. God save the Republic of the United States of America.